Uh, we're in the middle of our This is Love series. It's kind of part two of Easter. Uh, we looked at some of the journeys that uh, people took on their way uh, to understanding uh, the crucifixion and discovering that Jesus had risen from the dead and all of that that, that means. And, and today we're, we're, we're concluding um, the second half of it. We're in the second half of it by seeing the, what the resurrection meant to some of the people that Jesus uh, appeared to and revealed uh, his resurrection to. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything, even how we grieve, even how we handle disappointments uh, in life. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. This is love. Love conquers death. Today we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 25. And we're going to look at the road to Emmaus, uh, Jesus' appearance. It's one of his first appearances. It's the same day as uh, the women who have gone from the tomb and have uh, shared the good news of what they found in the angel. The angels had told them, he is not here, he is risen, just as he said. And, and it gets real um, experiential uh, for these incredibly discouraged, defeated men followers of Jesus, uh, on their way to Emmaus. I want us to learn uh, today four things from Jesus uh, about what grieving people need from us. When a friend comes to you and they are hurting, they've experienced uh, maybe a job loss, or, or their child has been um, undergoing some kind of an illness, and it's undiagnosed, and they are worried, and they are concerned, uh, when there is uh, maybe the loss of, uh, uh, of a home due to finances or something like that. I mean, none of us are exempt from pain in life. We all deal with sorrow at different times. And hopefully we never deal with it alone and there is someone who will do the right things allowing us to process our grief. Uh, the first thing is, that f- is what we need is friends who will listen. We need friends who will listen. Look at verses 13 through 18. It says this. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? People who are overcome with grief are understandably preoccupied. It's hard for them to see past what they're going through because it is taking up every thought that they have. Have you you been in that position. Maybe you're going through it now, even. And you find yourself maybe in the middle of the night. You wake up and you are already thinking about what you're going through at work, at school, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your finances. Maybe it's the death of of a loved one. Uh, In this story today, we have a little combination of things. There is the death of someone that was very influential, that a lot of hope had been put behind, and that is Jesus. And these, men, these people on the, on the road to Emmaus, these disciples, 
are so overcome with disappointment because Jesus was going to be the answer to all of their earthly problems, and yet he had died. And they were preoccupied with it. The response of Cleopas, what, are you the only one in town that doesn't know that these things have happened? I was sharing with my wife and, and kids that when I lost someone that I cared very much about, my grandfather, uh, Tully, he was not famous in any way. He, uh, he was a, a good man, a good husband, a good father and grandfather. Um, he was a, a former Marine. He worked for a furniture company. But he was in no way famous, not even on a local level. But the, the morning after he had passed, I remember turning on the Today Show and watching the morning news, and it just seemed odd to me that the whole country wasn't talking about this <laughs> because it filled so much of my mind and my heart that I couldn't think about anything else. And everything seemed perfunctory, talking about the weather. Who cares whether it's sunny or it's rainy, you know? I mean, because you just feel so hurt and so empty and sometimes what we need more than anything else in those moments is a friend who will listen. I'm trying so hard to be a better listener. As a preacher, I don't hurt for words to say. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, I lack moments where I'm silent and I listen in ways that express that I care without running my tongue but to be a good listener. Now, these two followers of Jesus who have experienced, you know, the crucifixion and all of their hopes and dreams have been shattered, and as they're going along, they're reliving everything that they both already know. We do that, don't we, with the good and the bad. You go see a movie with a buddy, and let's say it's an action-packed movie, and when it's over and you leave there, you talk about it maybe for an hour. Did you see this part? Yeah, that was really cool. You don't say, did I see it? I was sitting right beside you. What do you mean? <laughs> and what about this part? Wasn't that awesome when this happened and that happened? We want someone who knows what we're going through that we can kind of bounce it off and relive the moment. And we do the same with the sad things in life, too. We want someone who will let us say what they already know, what they experienced maybe right along with us, who can relate to the degree of, of hurt that maybe we're going through or disappointment or concern about the future, the where do we go from here moments that will just go back and forth with one another, sharing how you feel and what you're going through. Say no one knows like Someone who's, who's been there. And these two guys both knew because they had both been there. And they were good at listening to one another talk. And Jesus uh, joins them up in the walk. He's coming along this seven-mile journey uh, from uh, Jerusalem back to Emmaus. And he joins along and he prevents them from recognizing him. Now that's important because in order to need to prevent them from recognizing him, that must mean that Jesus was recognizable. Otherwise, there would have been no need to have prevented them from recognizing him. If they had just been, uh, if, if Jesus had just been a glowing ghost of sorts, uh, then there would have been no need to disguise his appearance, but they were prevented from recognizing him, and for good reason. Jesus was kind of incognito. 
He didn't want to stop the conversation that they were having as they were commiserating with one another over everything that they had seen and experienced. I sure thought he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, just as Moses did for the Israelites when he freed them from Egyptian slavery and led them to the promised land. I thought we were finally going to be freed from all of the Roman oppression that we're dealing with. He sure seemed like a charismatic leader. He seemed like the Messiah. He seemed like the one. And Jesus says, what are, who are you talking about? <laughs> what are these things that you talk about? It says it was the same day as the women's report of having seen the angels in the empty tomb that announced Jesus' resurrection. And, and this was an opportunity to connect the dots for them as Jesus' own prediction uh, that he had had from uh, before the crucifixion. Now it's all going to start to ring true for these fellows. But above answers, above problem solving, and certainly above trying to explain away grief with cliche comments... A friend who is grieving just needs to be heard. They already know, maybe, how they got where they are. They already know the complications associated with it. They're just wanting to vent. And sometimes a friend just needs to vent. And so Jesus takes it a step further by asking them a question so that they can give him feedback. Now, Jesus is not asking this question because... He needs information. He's asking them the question, what, what are these things that you're talking about? Because he is wanting them to have the opportunity to share what's going on in their lives. Uh, the next thing that grieving people need is freedom to be real. A safe place. A place where you don't have to put on, oh, everything's fine, you know, when underneath you're falling apart. And Jesus allowed them to be real. Verses 19 through 24. Jesus says, what things? They said about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and, and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is now the third day since all this took place. It's Easter. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. <laughs> they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb, and they found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. Him they did not see. These men acknowledge to Jesus, who they don't know is Jesus, their understanding of who he is. He was a revealer of God's way and a doer of God's work. One of my commentaries said, he who was going to redeem Israel, just as Moses had freed the people from Egyptian slavery, we were able to see that they were having in their own minds what they felt Jesus should be. <laughs> And when we get an idea in our heads of something, and that bubble is burst, it's kind of hard to know where do you go from here, how to regroup, um, how to know which way, which way is up. Those who try to set the agenda for God find themselves experiencing depression. 
uh, those who strive to fulfill God's plans find peace and joy and contentment. There is a God, and we're not Him. But in our humanness, we try to set an agenda, right? We're going to go here or there. We're going to do this or that. And it's good to set goals. And it's good to have big dreams. And it's good to plan for the future, to plan for your kids' college educations, to plan for your retirement, perhaps. And, but not to, to plan in such a way that we do not leave ourselves 100% totally open to God's plan. The safest place to be is not necessarily the will of God. It's anything but safe. Sometimes it's very risky. But it is always the right place to be. And their understanding of Jesus was that Jesus was a, a good prophet and a great teacher and was hopefully going to be the redeemer that Israel was looking for. The empty tomb, as we pointed out before Easter, the Easter series, uh, in, during the Easter series, the empty tomb without the risen Savior will do nothing to lift your spirits if you don't see Jesus. If you don't know that he has risen from the dead, all you're left with are more questions. And the testimony of the women from their community, their own community, women that they knew, some of our own women came and they reported to us that they had seen a vision of angels and that these angels had told them that he had risen, but him, our people did not, our, our guys that went to check it out, they did not see him. Well, you can just sense, can't you, their lack of trust in the report of what these women had seen. A limited perspective can rob you of your faith, and life without faith will lead to despair. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes this concerning uh, the dead in Christ. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will, be, will rise first. And then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, he says, encourage one another with these words. We do not want you to be uninformed about those who are dead in Christ. Why? We do not want you to grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. That word, as, it's two letters. You can't have fewer letters and still have a word. <laughs> not very many words left. As. We do not want you to grieve as the rest who have no hope. He doesn't say we don't want you to grieve. He just says we do not want you to grieve in the same way that they grieve. We grieve in a way that is filled with hope. It is not a, I'll never see my dead friends and relatives in Christ again. Oh, I'll see them again. But right now on earth, if I'm going to be real with you, it hurts that they are not, that they are not here, that they're not right here with me in this moment. And it's okay to be honest about that. The shortest verse in the Bible, two words, Jesus wept. When Jesus went to the tomb of his friend Lazarus 
and he saw Mary and Martha and, and experienced the grief that they were having, and he heard what they had to say. He didn't cut them off as they told him, if you had been here, you could have done something. But even now, nothing's impossible for you. And they cried, and they were so grief-stricken that what did Jesus do? Jesus wept. He was about to say, Lazarus, come forth. But before working that incredible miracle, before the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus wept. A lumberjack slash carpenter, son of God, king of all creation, right out in front of everybody, Jesus wept. It's okay. It's okay to use your God-given emotions to get out the pain that you have inside, to be real. I encourage you to find people in your life who will let you be you, who won't criticize you. Jesus allowed these two men on the road to Emmaus to be real with him. He didn't ask them the question, what are these things you talk about? Because he didn't know. And he didn't ask them as a trick question. He asked them to give them a chance to just say what they, what they needed to say. The next thing grieving people need is the assurance of heaven. Luke 24, verses 25 through 27 says this. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. He's connecting the dots for them. Psalm 16, 9 through 11 says, Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or see, let your Holy One see corruption or decay. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus going to the cross was paving the way for the hope that we have. And in retrospect, when you look back, when you have the assurance of, of heaven, his crucifixion, the reason that the cross brings us so much hope that it's such a beautiful thing, the old rugged cross, the reason we cherish it is because it is a symbol of our forgiveness, of our hope, of the blessed assurance that we have that one day as forgiven people we can stand before God as if we had never sinned and that our sins washed clean will enable us to walk into the purity and the perfection of heaven. Not because we were good enough, not because we weren't too bad, not because we outranked other people with better deeds than theirs kind of thing, God grading on the curve. He will find us guilty, but pay the penalty for us with Jesus' blood and say, come on in, you've been redeemed, justified, just as if you had never sinned. That's why the prophet Isaiah said, Surely he has, he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he has, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Notice the progression of this conversation. Jesus first listened. 
disguising himself as a stranger. He just let them talk, let them vent. And then he asked them a question to show that he was interested. Next, he took them to the Scriptures. It is always right to start with God's Word. You can't argue with God's Word, and God's Word is truth. And if you start with with the Scriptures about who Jesus is, it just naturally leads to to hope and the the assurance of, of heaven. And then finally, he has a meaningful sit-down conversation with them where he begins to provide information. He begins to answer questions. He begins to give them solutions. He begins to be a fix-it person. But only after he has listened and brought them to this point, they say people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. And at this point, They were intrigued by the stranger on the road, so much so that when Jesus pretended he was going to go further after they reached their destination, that they talked him into staying and and having a meal with them. That's a special stranger. The distance that they were to walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus would be the equivalent of walking from Dover Christian Church to Arby's restaurant. And when you've gotten a stranger walking that kind of a journey with you for that amount of time, who has let you talk amongst yourselves and then has asked you provoking questions and then has shared with you some scriptures, you want him to stay. Hey, come and have a meal with us. And it was as he gave thanks and he broke bread, which is interesting because he's made himself the, the head of this meal. Um, he's their guest, but he's in charge. And when he breaks the bread... Their, their eyes are opened as to who he is. One um, of the commentaries I was reading said that these, these two followers probably were not part of the Lord's Supper, but what they would maybe be remembering is when Jesus had them kneel and pray and he fed 5,000 people and he broke bread and, and the food just kept coming and their eyes are opened to who he is. Acts 10.43 says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. One final thought is that every grieving person needs an eye-opening encounter with Jesus. An eye-opening encounter with Jesus. Verses 28 through 32, it says, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, he gave thanks, he broke it and began to give it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He disappeared from their sight. Poof! They asked each other, Hey, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked with us, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? So kind of in retrospect, they're acknowledging, hey, I knew all along there was something special about him, right? I mean, our hearts were burning, right? You know, they, their eyes have been opened that this Jesus who had died is now alive forevermore, and they are so excited. They said, stay a while. Please don't rush off. Jesus was ministering to them by listening to them, by directing them back to God's truth, and it was healing for them, right? That's the end goal when you have someone that you care about who is grieving, who has gone through some major disappointment in life or the loss of a loved one. They're, they're, wanting, they're wanting that pain to be lifted a little. And nothing can do that like an encounter with Jesus. 
One of the reasons we come together on Sunday mornings and we worship together is because we are sinners saved by grace and we have Jesus in common. And as the ecclesia, as the assembly together of believers, we need each other. I need you. <laughs> and you need me and you need each other. And we need, it is good for us to be in the house of the Lord, to be together because we have this thing in common. And sometimes if worship feels kind of numb for you, if you're not getting anything out of it, it might be that you've not been having any encounters during the week with Jesus. Because if you've been having encounters with Jesus during the week, if you're walking with him, if he's doing something in your life, if you're experiencing him, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then by the time we get together again, you ought to be thinking, I can't wait till I see everybody. I've got so much to share because it's just overflowing from you, the joy of the Lord. And if Jesus is part of your life on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, come Saturday night, you ought to be thinking, I cannot wait till tomorrow to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ because I've had an encounter with Jesus. Have you had any eye-opening encounters with him? I'm really impressed with the new slogan, or at least it's new to me, uh, of the Marines. Uh, have you seen the billboards? Battles are won. Where? Within. And I thought, boy, the church should have partnered with them in that. Battles are won within. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's a spiritual battle, right? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the, the world. And something ought to be going on within us. The Lord ought to be having an encounter with us every day. At times, Jesus is the shepherd of Israel, gently leading his sheep and caring for them. At other times, he is the coming king of glory and king of righteousness who will rule the nations with a rod and of iron and scatter the enemies of his people. But there's another character, the suffering servant of Jehovah, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, despised and rejected of men. And the really cool thing about this road to Emmaus, why this is such a popular story, even though Luke's the only one that tells us about it, in all four Gospels, the reason it is such a significant story is because all of these roles that Jesus plays, the shepherd of Israel, the king of glory and of righteousness, and uh, the suffering servant, are all rolled into one person. He did not have his life taken from him. He laid it down. And as my professor of the book of Gospels used to tell our class, uh, he did not spill his blood. A spill suggests an accident. <laughs> I'm accident prone. I woke, up, I woke up from a nap last week, and my family was all laughing because on the television they said something about being accident prone, and they all agreed, Dad. <laughs> and then they pointed to some injuries on my finger, and then they laughed even more. I was like, what's so funny? You know, That's an accident, right? You spill the milk. You spill the Coke. You spill the... And I'm one that believes you can spill, you can cry over spilled milk. It's expensive, you know, when you have a spill. But Jesus' blood was not spilled. It was poured out. Because when you pour something, it's no accident. It's intentional. If you take your cup, children, don't try this at home. If you take your cup 
and you intentionally turn it upside down on the dining room table and pour it out, you're probably going to be in trouble. <laughs> but most parents, most parents don't overreact when there's an accidental spill. Jesus' blood was poured out for us. The Emmaus Discourse is one of the most important in all the New Testament, for in it our Lord taught how his life and mission, his death and resurrection, had to be viewed in the context of God's self-revelation in the Old Testament Scriptures. And it forms the vital connection, the connecting link between the Old Testament promises and the apostolic exposition of their fulfillment of Jesus of Nazareth. In retrospect, they realized Jesus had been with them all along. A good friend of mine uh, came and spoke to our junior high students a, a couple of years ago and, and talked about a hard time he had gone through. And uh, he had two important lessons for them. I remember them both, but the one I want to say today is, you are never alone. In your darkest moment, in your greatest despair, and your biggest disappointment, whether it's because of your own actions or not, or someone else's, or just life. You are never alone. As we conclude, <clears throat> just to read out uh, 33 through 35, it says, They got up, they returned at once to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen, he has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how they had recognized Jesus when he broke the bread. I picture the women who had reported what the angels had said rolling their eyes at, at, at this point. Oh, news. <laughs> Thought we said this earlier today. Now, suddenly, it means something. And by the time they get there, everybody's already excited. They come in, they go, we've got big news. Yeah, Simon just told us. <laughs> it's, oh, finding someone with whom you can share the good news about Jesus who doesn't already know is a pretty exciting thing. Um. And we are blessed to have Jesus who has conquered death and the grave. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your amazing love. I thank you, God, for Jesus, for the price that he paid for us. I thank you, Lord, that we can assemble here on first day of the week, get things started off right, the privilege to be in your house of worship, the freedom that we have to assemble. God, that we can sing your praises, hear your scriptures read, agree with one another with a hearty amen, and to share our hurts and our joys with each other. God, may this be a church that laughs a lot together and who feels comfortable crying together because we share in common so much and nothing more vital than Jesus, your son. God, we pray all of this in his name. Amen.